Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your lawn and garden in shape. We do it right, too, with deals to help you save every day, like four bags of premium mulch now for just $10. And buy one one-and-a-half-cubic-foot bag of miracle Grow vegetable and herb garden soil. Get a Bonnie Basics plant for free. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 5-1 while supplies last. Bonnie offer valid on select 11.8-ounce pots. Valid in-store only. See store for details. U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Welcome to the Off the Glass podcast. This is your host, Z, bringing you a fresh, intelligent, thought-provoking perspective to the game of basketball. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest. He's the author of the book, Basketball is Jazz. He's a high school coach. He's also a trainer to several NBA players, such names as Udonis Haslam, Corey Brewer, uh, Kevin Martin that played in the NBA. That's no other than Coach David Thorpe. How you doing today, Coach? I am great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. As I just alluded to you, I'm on cloud nine. Just welcome to the birth of my second child. So all things are good. The weather is nice. No complaints. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, I'm glad uh, you was able to give me some time today, Coach Thorpe. Um, like I said, I've been listening to you for a while. We're definitely one of my favorite guests whenever you're on the different outlets, the different podcasts, such as Zach Lowe's on ESPN. And I know you do a lot of NBA when you talk, but you have a very extensive background. If there's anything I missed, can you kind of update my listeners a little bit on, on, on your background? Sure. Yes, I appreciate you mentioned the book that came out last year, Basketball is Jazz, uh, Stories and Lessons from a Basketball Lifer. And it's a book I wrote really as a, a, an ode to uh, the game that's really supported my, my family and myself for uh, three decades now. Uh, I started playing uh, as a nine-year-old and uh, played through high school. I uh, coached starting uh, when I was 22, right after college in 1987, and was lucky enough to coach some great players. And uh, then moved into player training, which then, back then in 1993 or so, didn't exist really. Mm. Uh, I started a business of, of, of charging players by the hour to work on their games and help them improve. Some people came multiple times a week, others once a week, and that, that kind of grew, uh, I'm happy to say, to lots of players getting opportunities to play in college uh, at a pretty good level, uh, up to Division One and so forth, and, and that bounced into agents contacting me about helping their pros, and that started happening in about 99 when I started working with mostly overseas players. Okay. Where I befriended a guy, actually, you know, named Asai Ujiri, yeah. Um, I'm a Thai was a, just retiring as a player when I first met him. And he spent some time with me and some Nigerian players I was training. That's where he's from. And that's how we actually met. And then Udonis Thousand was my first, uh, student. Uh, I think I've had maybe 75 players that have played some in the NBA, uh, all-stars, lottery picks, first round picks, second round picks, undrafted players, guys that have been in the league, out of the league, back in the league. Um, it's been a heck of experience. And then, of course, for 10 years, I was a lead analyst, I guess, for covering the NBA for ESPN. I just left that last year as well, right when I finished the book and published it. And, uh, and now I'm doing I'm a little more focused on uh, kind of taking what I do into the corporate world and speaking to CEOs and, and companies. Uh, and I've also expanded my, my teaching operation to 
a pretty extensive overseas uh, business where I've worked with a lot of great players over there in the ATB, in the Euro League, the Euro Cup. I have a lot of players from Israel because I trained their two best players, Omri Kasky and Jan Mechel. Okay. And I also help AAU in high school basketball. My son's a, a sophomore, a junior in high school now. And uh, so I coach, I kind of help coach his various teams that he's on with high school and AAU and a number of coaches in the area uh, that I try to help mentor in, in developing their program. So it's, like I said, basketball is, is mostly what I do and what, I, what I've done for 30 plus years now. Man, you, you have a lot on your plate. And it's interesting, recently I've started to notice that guys like yourself are kind of transitioning into like the corporate world where they kind of want to bring in uh, guys like yourself who have the background in sports because in a lot of ways, especially team sports, mirrors a lot of what you see at the corporate level. But also with that being said, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned how training wasn't really popular right now. And it seems like now, especially when you go on social media, it seems like everybody is, is training and having pros or even at the younger level. You know, that was one of the things that, I wish I would have had because I started playing organized basketball, I want to say around seven years old, and um, I participated in something called small fry basketball, which was at the time, I mean, it still exists now, but was really, very big. Uh, we played at a eight foot six rim, you used a women's basketball, and it was more of a guard game. And for my area, my time period, because um, I'll be 37 this year, I was able to compete against guys like you would know, like uh, D. Brown that played at Illinois. Uh, yep. Will Bynum that spent time in Israel and yep. then in the NBA. So very, very talented type of guys that I played against at a young age, but we didn't have the training that you see now. Um, what do you like about the training or anything that you, you, you know, you don't really care for? Cause it seems like everywhere you go, everybody is training now. So great question. Uh, uh first of all, I play small fly too. Oh. Uh, <laughs> in, in 1976, uh, I was 11 and was the last player cut from my local team. You could play up so you could be turning 13, actually. Yep. Um, but you couldn't have already. I think there was some kind of deadline around 13. So I was 11. I was the last kid cut. Uh, all the kids were 12 and 13. And uh, that team went to Puerto Rico. The next year, uh, I made it, was one of the better players, and we stayed local. Literally within my, I don't think we ever drove more than 25 minutes, in fact, my last couple of games were played at the middle school and high school where I ended up attending. In fact, I was already at the middle school. Okay. So that kind of stuck. I didn't get a chance to travel with small fry, but yeah, I was really short. Uh, you know, my highest, I'm shrinking now cause I'm 53, but <laughs> I reached six foot something, probably six foot even, uh, when I was 19. And, uh, but I was, I mean, I, the limit then was five one, and yep. I was nowhere close when I was 12. And real quick, coach, cause uh, I really don't yeah. meet people outside that even knows what that is. Yeah. But I played six years, and actually the guy who founded Bob Leader changed the rule to September 1st so I can get that last year. And because of my height, I played all the way up to eighth grade. And back then yeah, – Yeah, you're it, lucky. Yeah, they have it at the Disney Complex now. But back then, like you said, we actually got to travel. So 91, we went to Newark. 92 was in New Orleans. And then 93, 94, 95, it was in Tampa. So we actually played at the University of Tampa – and then oh, there was nice. a school, a high school directly across the street. I think it was called Tampa like, Prep. Yes. Tampa Prep. My yeah. son, my son plays his AAU there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we were able yeah, he's to. Yeah, exactly. Tampa Prep. Yeah. So I don't want to get too sidetracked, but I, I rarely no, meet great. people that that even yeah. know what I'm talking about when I mention that. Well, it it, it goes to the training thing because it, as it turned out, uh, my small fry team was 
I'm still friendly with a number of them on Facebook, and some of them live around here. And uh, uh, the the great thing about playing on the smaller rims was we all shot the ball correctly because yes. it was only eight foot whatever, and and small ball helped too. And I'm, I'm a big, big believer in that. But your general question about training, I, I think what's happened. You know, but here's what I always say about that: in the game, you know, the, the kids game telephone, where a bunch of kids sit next to each other and you and you whisper some word or sentence to, I guess, the sentence to one kid, and then he he just whispers to the person next to him on the end. You see if the sentence matched what the original sentence was. It never does. Right. And I think that that's what's really happened in training. What I did when I first started was I, I only had one goal, and that was to help my players score more points, get more rebounds, get more assists, play better defense, be more productive, be more efficient, so that they would come back the next week and write me another check. That was it. I, I did, there was no song and dance, dog and pony show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had no equipment but basketballs. <laughs> uh, I have one amazing memory that I think I even put in my book. I trained a player uh, for a long time named Mike McFarland. Mike was a, he's actually was at the school that my son goes to now. Comes out of high school in Clearwater that's had Andrew Clerk and Matt Geiger, two NBA players uh, that attended there in the previous year. Uh, I was training Mike, who was a 6'2" pale white kid who just worked his tail off and we, we trained outside. I had no gym. I, w- I was well known as a high school coach in the area, but nobody was giving me a gym. Mm-hmm. I didn't, no one else knew me outside of the team that I coached in or I coached against. <laughs> Excuse me. So Mike, I'd work with him on triple threat, uh, coming off pin down ball handling. He was a, he was a great, I thought he had a chance to be a great shooter. He was a, a sophomore junior at the time in high school. And, um, I remember driving by the park, where my son now plays because I live right by the park. And uh, he had he had moved the trash basket to, to act as a screener or to act as a defender when he wanted to make his you know crossover move. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking that he's such a serious player. He ended up going O'Kill as a senior and uh, played with Ron Mercer on that team that was great and, and then started as a freshman for the Florida Gators on uh, scholarship. Uh, blew his knee out actually twice. He's now an emergency room doctor. But uh, but that was the goal, is to get guys better, not to look pretty doing it. We didn't do anything else but basketball-related stuff that I took directly from games that I coached or watched uh, that addressed their, their weaknesses. And I think what's happened is trainers have looked at themselves as their, their job is to put guys through dr- drills and have the drills look cool and, and, and not really emphasize the results, which is how, how much is the player getting better. And that's really... I mean, even now, I just worked out today, a young man heading to Israel. He's an American kid, played at Florida A&M, and today's his last day before he goes to Israel. And I only had him for a week. His agent, was a kid I coached years ago, uh, who's from the area, asked if I'd watch the kid help the kid for a week. And I asked him, I asked the young man today, he was a great player in college. I said, you know, how'd you feel the week went? He, he just talked about how much better his shot felt. He, his dad came to watch him yesterday for the first time since the season ended, and he couldn't believe how much more explosive he got. I only had him for a week. I, I don't really know how much I helped him. But right. I know I tried to help him jump higher, uh, dribble faster, dribble better, dribble tighter, have a better plan of attack, uh, certainly cleaned up his shot and helped him understand the shooting mechanics better. He's 22. He doesn't really know that well. And, and the, the main point I try to make is, because obviously I get a chance to talk to a lot of people who do this, uh, the focus should be on teaching the game, not teaching the skill. The skill is secondary to the game. And that's where... With all the work that I do and have done, the emphasis on teaching the game 
and then get the skill part of it down within the context of what's supposed to happen. We do a lot of work moving without the ball. I don't know that that happens. I don't really watch other people do it. I don't know if they do that. I know we spend a lot of time learning how to move without the ball. Everything is game speed. We can't go very long because they just don't have the energy if they go top speed. And we address what they don't do very well, more so than what they already are really good at, especially the, you know, I've got a player in town right now who's a, I think he's a 10 or 11-year NBA veteran. I have another 10 or, I think he's in his 10th year now. Another one is an 11th year coming here next week. Uh, I, you know, those guys are not teaching the game so much as maintaining their skill and working on where I think they're weak at. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there's certain spots on the floor that are shoot the three great from. So we address that. There might be some ball handling issues. They might be playing for a coach. One of my guys is playing for a new coach coming up. And, and so we got some video of what that coach wants to run and we'll simulate it. We'll drill, drill some of those things so that when they get to training camp next month, which is actually coming up here, uh, they're going to already be kind of more comfortable with running that stuff. That's, that's what should be happening. I'm not telling you it's not happening anywhere my gym. Of course it's happening elsewhere. I don't know that it's happening enough. And I'm hoping that eventually more – I love that there are trainers all over every neighborhood in the world. I, I travel everywhere, and, and I love knowing that my guys in Tel Aviv are working with people. I went there last year, and everyone's got their own personal guy, and that's great. But I, I, I hope that trainers eventually realize that the, the onus is on developing their game, not just their skill, and that just hasn't happened all the way yet. And I'm going to transition, too, with this, but also comment. I agree um, – I've recently, with the podcast and other things, probably the last two to three years, kind of really gotten back into basketball as far as the young people. As I got older, it became increasingly harder for me to watch college and especially high school. As I, I had a small professional career, so I played Division three and then kind of did the minor league thing here in the States. And then I was able to play um, a few games at the top league in Poland, that didn't work out, but I played two seasons in the second league in um, Finland. And one thing I realized, I couldn't watch the game because of the pace. But also with the training I was getting at that time, I had one guy, we didn't do a lot of tricks and a lot of things. It was a lot of footwork. Like you said, one basketball. Um, some days was plyometrics heavy, a while with shooting to work on the conditioning and getting a lift. But I know you're going to appreciate this, and I remember you explaining this. I think what you're talking about is what you would call a time the the royal jelly, like while you're talking to the players. And I remember with him, I was always, I was a point guard, so I was always naturally very cerebral. But everybody doesn't always have that. But even somebody like me, when somebody's talking to me in a way where I can really think the game, he's challenging me to think, it helps with your performance. And a lot of that time, what I see nowadays, and it's ironic, we're in a time now where we have more, training and I mean like physical equipment training nutrition is at a different level now um, NBA players are flying charter I mean all these the shoes padded tights like we have all these things but the, the criticism I hear a lot from guys who's older school and I kind of in between that range like I'm actually old enough to really remember Michael Jordan playing like I, I was fifth grade when they won their first championship 91 I remember that and I always they always say well the guys back there were more skilled than today And I will argue back and forth sometimes. I kind of see what they're saying, but I think it goes to what you're saying. How can we have all this at our disposal, but we're complaining about lack of skill? So, uh, I mean, that's what I thought about while you were talking about that. that. Let me address that. Let let me disavow any thought you could possibly have that there are players in general are less skilled now. That's crazy talk. 
I it's think it's crazy too, Coach. To I don't answer. agree with it, but this is what you hear a lot of. I it's don't what agree old people with. do. <laughs> it's what I mean. I'm 53. I'm older than most people. You probably know, but I don't do it. But I, I have people in my generation older that do. It's just nonsensical. Uh, I go back and watch the games in the 80s. The game was played on a tiny piece of land in the yes. court. Yes. People have written that. It, 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 very few players had the kind of skill. I mean, go back in the 60s with Bob Cousy and everyone was dribbling with one hand. They right. didn't have a weak hand. They couldn't shoot or finish with it. We, you know, there, there were no Kyrie Irving back then. And, and then you could argue in the Isaiah Thomas era. There, there was, you know, like a couple guys. And we've got multiple players that are very skilled. And, you know, so many players, uh, 6'9 and taller that can shoot. You know, Kevin Durant would have been the craziest freak of all time. He's, he's not even the best player in our league. He's one of the best. Right. But in, in almost any era but the Michael Jordan era, He's the best. There's just no one can even imagine what this guy could do. Not that coaches maybe would let him do it anyway, but uh, uh, Steph Curry is, is, I don't think he even made first team all league last year. He's been a two time MVP. Yes. Uh, we are loaded. What, what I don't, what I, what I agree with is uh, we, we're in this rut now of, of, of players not really learning how to play, but that's not the case for our best guys. Exactly. Uh, and I would argue that most NBA players, especially by years two, three, and four, there's a reason why rookies really struggle in the NBA. Donovan Mitchell is an exception. Of course, Ben Simmons is a seven-foot point guard. He's also the best athlete on the court almost every night out. And he missed the whole year. We could learn and study the game. So he wasn't your typical rookie. But most rookies suck, actually. They're not good. And the reason is because college kids and, and kids of that generation tend to play the game and pros read the game. It's a science yes. unlike anything they've ever done before. Uh, one thing we do as an example of this, in all of our workouts, even with one on zero, uh, we're, we really focus on their eyes being off their man and off the ground and off the rim if they're dribbling and scanning the court, uh, uh, looking at the 10 uh, offensive players or all have an assistant, get to a spot, and they got to look at the assistant uh, because if that assist, if that guy represents a shooter, that helps the uh, uh, pull gravity against him or towards him for his defender, which opens up lanes. If, in other words, if you just stare at the rim, uh, especially if you're a key player, then helpers may, may jump in that lane, and when you drive, you're going to have to kick. But if you want to be the one to score, I, I, because you think you're the better threat, stare down your offensive player, force his, his man to shrink towards him, and now you have an open lane. We drill that. We work on stuff like that. Uh, especially with younger players uh, that are going to Europe that need to build value. They've got to score. And if all they do is telegraph that they're driving to score every time, then the crowd comes, they have to kick it out, which is great, but they're not, they're not building their resume. And we have to factor that in. It's a business. Right. So uh, the players are so much more skilled now. And the idea that these guys aren't as tough is also just so ridiculous. The fact that you're not allowed to fight Thank doesn't you. make them softer. Hockey players don't fight like they did, but they're, these are not soft guys. Uh, it's just, it's just silly talk. I've coached all, since, I mean, I started my first coaching job in 87. So I've been in, I've been in four decades now and in two years, I'll be in the fifth decade of coaching. And it's just not true that these guys are getting softer or worse. The game has evolved. I'm sure it'll evolve again. I do think we'll see more mid-range jumpers. The Pacers did this last year. They kind of took a lot of wide open mid-range and had a very good offense. Yes. And I think you're going to start seeing teams have guys that have both three-point shooting and mid-range. So when you take away one, you got the other. Uh, and then there's always 
Always, always, always. My first book I ever read when I got the job in 87, summer of 87, I got the job at Dixie Hall High School. I bought Dean Smith's Multiple Penetrating Attacks for Winning Basketball, which I think was written in the 60s. This was 80s, 87, mm. so 20 years later. And he, and he wrote about their number one offense is uh, uh, when they get to the free throw line. In other words, he did the math. He did points per possession, basically, which is what we use in the dance metric now. Right. And his points per possession then were highest when they went to the free throw line. So that's always a value getting fouled. That hasn't changed. So much of the, of the game has evolved and will continue to evolve back and forth. That's the nature of the beat. So I, I think, I think we're doing a great job teaching skill. I don't think we're doing a great job teaching, uh, the overall development. The good news is in our country alone, we're so loaded with talent that we don't need that many to get through to fill the NBA with super talented players. And we have the rest of the world to help out too. I agree with everything you just said, Coach. And in the summertime, because my father-in-law, and I don't want to get sidetracked, we had this big argument. He swears up and down that, like, the Lakers would beat this year's Warriors team. And I always argue, like, who's going to guard who? But I say that to say this. I don't even like comparing errors. I was just asking you that question just to kind of get your your background. You so know, here's your... the way I would answer it. Okay. Yeah, I, I, you're not the first to ask me. No, no, uh, I wasn't going to ask you that. I was just going to say, no, no, though, I wanna, that... I want to address it. Go ahead. I want you ahead. to have a, I wanna have a good answer for your father-in-law. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell, tell him this. Tell him, let's have a helicopter time machine. <laughs> and by the way, those, those Lakers teams are my favorite teams of all time. I was a huge some, Magic Johnson Some fan, of mine, so. too, and I think Magic is one of the all-time greats. We always want to debate yeah. Jordan and LeBron, and I always say, what about he, Magic? Like, we always... No, he, he's not... He might have been... He's probably not even the top five anymore, but there was a long time when he was number two. Jordan Magic Bird for a long time. Right. I think Tim Duncan and LeBron have passed them. And uh, in terms of what they accomplished, you know, they argue who was the better player in his prime is a separate argument than who had the best career. Two different things. But, exactly. But, so just say this, your problem law. Helicopter that Laker team to, to today uh, with, with these rules today, and they would be uh, whitewashed. It, it, they, wouldn't, they, they, they would keep running to the paint, and Kevin Durant would continue to rain threes upon them. And Steph Curry, when they finally kicked out the three-point line, Steph Curry would laugh because he's six feet beyond that and very much in range if you're not guarding him. So uh, you can go well, and Draymond's ability as a facilitator, the way they switched everything would be something they just didn't see. Yes. Um, and, and remember too, because of the rule changes uh, uh, that we've had, they would really struggle to, uh, to understand how to get off the ball. They just, they hadn't done it. Give them a year. What I always say is give a team a year, give that team a season, a regular season to adjust well, that team was really good because guys like Magic and Byron Scott on those teams, and even Worthy potentially, uh, certainly Michael Cooper, they, they would have taken a lot more threes over the course of a season if you allow them to innovate during that season. But, but in helicopter in one game, I think they get smashed, and I would argue the same thing in reverse. I said helicopter the same, time machine. I said the same yeah. thing, Coach, because the one thing yeah. I always ask with, have with these arguments with people is what rules are we playing? Because when I played men's leagues when I first started out, we played the old NBA rules where you have to be within arm's distance of your man or right. above the free throw line. That's why right. Jordan was crazy good one-on-one because his first step was so quick he could get past people before the help got there. 
I said, these guys nowadays, they're playing basically college help side defense. And Tom, right. you know, Fibodeau gets credit for a lot of that with ice and all these other things. But that's why these guys, another thing, shoot so many jump shots is because you can't get all the way to the paint. And that's why you've seen the mid-range game come back. But that's what I asked him because he thinks, well, they'll kill him inside. And I said, yeah, that might be true. But last time I checked, three is worth more than two. And the first time yeah. they bring Kareem and Draymond out in a Steph pick and roll with Steph and Draymond or – how about Iguodala or Eva Livingston? Or you bring Durant out and do a pick and roll. They're not going to be able to guard those guys. The defense, the well, Kareem, the, Kareem would have, they would have to play Kareem the way Utah plays Gobert, which right. is most again at the end of his career. At the end of his career, Kareem was incredible. He still I mean, was really yeah, right, right, astonishing, astonishing athlete. But they, he would not be able to rim protect in those final years against guys flying down from the three point line, which is what, what we have now. Uh, now, helicopter time machine backwards, and it was the Warriors again. Give them a season, right. and I think they would destroy the league uh, in any rules. But even in one game, they'd be much more prepared because they still have the same unbelievable one-on-one players. I mean, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant cannot be guarded one-on-one. Uh, uh, the way they can run Clay Thompson off screens with, with, with someone like Draymond occupies those guys. You can't. You can't get rid of the help on, on, a, on a Kevin Durant or Steph Curry action if you have to guard Clay on a pin down. Right. So forget you, you forget about coming late. You can't come at all. And they just they just the game is is just played on on you know fifty percent larger of a court. So nice. in one game the Lakers have no idea what's going on, and yet the Lakers played a game that these guys all grew up in. It was much more of a you know blacktop game, uh, playground style in a sense, rough and tough. They've seen that. I'm not, again, biggest Laker fan ever. I had, I had the Laker swap watch. I had the Laker jacket. Huge Laker <laughs> fan. I love Norm Nixon, and I was heartbroken that he got traded after they won the championship with Paul Westhead. Yep. But it's just, the Jews can't compare. And that was the best team. Uh, right. Take the worst team, and they, they'd be, it would be able to, it'd be tough for those teams back then. So the game has evolved for the better. Uh, our players are better. They're trained better uh, off the court, too. Um, take those Laker teams and put them in today's world with a, uh, I don't know about the Warriors, but uh, the better, I don't really know the Warriors uh, off-court uh, uh, athletic development, but whoever's got the best one uh, and, and they would see market progress for sure. Uh, so, I, I think the game's in great hands though. I, I'm, not, I'm not one of these young guys, well, I'm not that young, who thinks that the game though is struggling. We're loaded with talent. I see talent all over the place no matter where I look and, and, and it's getting better around the world, not worse. I agree, Coach, and that's why I always say when my podcast try to add perspective because I think we're in a world now where people just like to argue with a lot of things. But with that being said, I got two questions. The first one yep. is I don't like comparing errors, but I will ask you this. What do you think in your years of coaching, your experience, what what makes a, a, a great player? And Because in my opinion, they always say, well, they didn't have hand checking now, so they couldn't play back then and vice versa. And I will always argue, if you're great, you're great. All you can do is control when you're born and dominate your era. And that's all the way I look at it. So to me, if we're saying the, uh, Will Chamberlain was a great player, then wouldn't Michael Jordan have the same things, kind of the same attributes to be a, a great player or any other great player you want to use, like uh, Isaiah Thomas or whoever? So with that being said, I'm just curious with your, your years of experience, what do you think uh, makes a great player and one of those things that kind of transcends eras? I love the question. Uh, let me go back first to the hand-checking. Uh, 
I honestly think the whole thing's a myth. It, it is it is cre- it is a life force that has been created out of thin air. Go watch the games. Yep. I don't know what they're talking about. I, I watched the games back then. I was my oh, first you can watch job. them right I mean, now I, I, on NBA TV because it's exactly, summertime. And they showing them all the time. Uh, no, I go to YouTube. I do that all the time. But yeah. I, when I've got late at night and nothing else to watch on TV, I'll put on. I don't game just to just to laugh at the idea. Well, first of all, I laugh at the sixties that nobody could dribble with the weak hand. That, that's a whole separate thing. But uh, the idea that you that you can control, uh, uh, pick pick the guard in the NBA. You can control him with your five fingers. Come on. Yeah. Uh, if that doesn't mean there weren't times where a player would drive and he would get a good hard shove in his hip on a hand check, and that would alter him a little bit. But guess what? I, 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 as a, somebody who's coached many, many NBA scores now, it still happens now. Yes, they call a foul more, but they still don't call it nearly as often as it happens. Check the low post how, how physical that is. They yep. clean it up more than they did, but still very physical. So if the hand check thing's a myth, it didn't happen as much. Watch the game and you'll see, uh, first of all, it wouldn't even matter with guys like Steph Curry and all the great shooters because they just weren't guarding people out there. They didn't guard them close 16, 17 feet a lot of times. So I think that's all about the hot air, the whole hand check thing. I don't get it. Uh, but regarding it, so regarding a great player, what I would argue is uh, that the best, the best players are players that are elite level production, elite level efficiency, and raise the win total of their team uh, much more so than they would otherwise have. Some players can put empty numbers in a. Uh, that doesn't mean they're not good players. Uh, they could put up high-scoring, low-efficient, high-efficiency, high-scoring games, and they're just very good players. They're even great players, but not elite-level all-star types or maybe one-year all-stars uh, because they don't do enough of all the other things or they're not so prolific in the one thing. I mean, Durant would be a great player if he didn't rebound and defend, which he often doesn't, by the way. He, when he needs to, he does, and it's good enough. He's such a scorer, and he plays the right way uh, that he helps his team. You can make the arc Graham on green, is an example of a guy that doesn't necessarily have elite level of production efficiency, but his overall impact on his team in, in the things that he does, the, the Swiss Army knife in a sense, he, he's the best on-ball defender at his size in the league. He's the best off-ball defender at, his, at any size in the league. His IQ is off the charts. He's a computer brain on defense. He sees everything tenacious, so he brings that, that's the one measurement that's hard to bring is just how tough are you. Yes. Uh, his his battle-ready toughness uh, adds culture to that team. That, that culture matters. Culture, as a saying, I like culture eats strategy for breakfast. I, I didn't make that up. He helps the Warriors culture. Uh, three, three championships and four, and, and the fourth, they lost in game seven, and uh, you know, when, they were, when they were exhausted uh, and set the record regular season for win. So, so that is, a, he would be almost like an asterisk in the sense that uh, he isn't elite lead any one thing offensively, but he's a lead on defense. He's a unique offensive player. His overall impact uh, probably makes him a Hall of Famer because I think he's going to go down as one of the one of the best defenders of this era, and uh, and also a guy that's already got three rings. So uh, that's what I would say is elite. Well, and I agree with you also. My 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 guess is it's only a guess. The elite players from every era of the last, let's say, uh, fifty years or so. Let's start in the maybe maybe seventies, late seventies. So the modern, now, considered probably, the modern era, then basically. Right. Okay. Let's start with Magic 
and and Larry, uh, the the most elite players of that era. Um, not the Robert Parishes. Uh, uh, maybe Kevin McHale. I think Kevin McHale would learn to shoot the three if he played in this world. Uh, he was a he was a great player. Um, but Parrish, I think Parrish was a little more limited. I don't know that he would be, but uh, uh, Kareem and Magic and Bird, Isaiah, I, I think they're great in any era, as I think these guys are now. Um, Bill Russell's the one debate spot for me. He was he was a forty one percent career finisher in a in a very slow much smaller league than what we have. He was very tall, extremely athletic, exquisite passer, one of the best defenders ever, amazing rebounder, probably, just because the game was so different then. But it being such an offensive liability, he'd be more in the Draymond category, I guess. Uh, but I, you would never put Draymond a top 10 all-time player, and I don't, I don't put Russell there. But people do because they won 11 rings. Well, I argue, put him on the St. Louis Hawks and your rings, he wins. Right. I, I agree with everything you just said, Coach. And one thing I'll say real quick, and then I want to get this last question in real quick. Um, mm-hmm. I look at Wilt as somebody, and me personally, I look at Shaq the same way. They, to me, with their size and their skill level, they underachieve. But even with that, I always make that argument like, okay, so Wilt had the season where he averaged like 52 and 30-some rebounds and played 48 minutes. Crazy numbers. But you mean to think that Wilt couldn't maybe average 30 and 15, I mean, that's still dominant numbers if we could just put it in today's um, context. You know, those, so that's what I would just want to add to that real quick. When I had these arguments, sometimes you got to just, again, use perspective and kind of just look at it through through that lens. Yeah, of course, his numbers are absurd when you really look at some of the things he did. And he just, you know, said his birthday was yesterday. But um, with that being said, I wanted to ask you one last question. You always talk about the NBA. I was curious, and I forgot because I wrote a blog on it. What did you think about the NCAA's quote-unquote attempt and rule changes? Because I don't often hear you talk a lot about the college game because I know you do a lot with the pros and all that. But I'm pretty sure you have some thoughts, um, if you don't mind sharing, about what they attempted to do with this rule change and how do you feel about the whole – that whole I want to say whole system because that's a loaded question, but just what they tried to do this summer. Honestly, I'm not totally sure what they're trying to do. I, I do – I, I personally think that players should be able to leave uh, uh, whenever they want, and uh, including coming out of high school. I, I don't. I'm not one who believes that if you can die for our country, you can't play basketball. I, I don't see any evidence suggested that, uh, and same with football for that matter. I don't get any of that. Um, I, I think that the NCAA is in the business of the NCAA, and uh, they, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, I, I think they're it's a it's a joke that the guys making all the money for everyone uh, don't make any money at all. Uh, and coaches are getting incredibly rich off their backs. Colleges are getting incredibly rich off their backs, off their hard work. And they're getting a little bit of marketing that almost has no meaning at all because no one in the NBA gives a damn how popular you are if you can't play. Yep. It, at best, it'll help you get drafted by a spot or two at best. But – if you do bad workouts, whatever, you're not going to get drafted no matter what you did in college. Uh, and so I think it's, I think the whole thing's a sham. I, I, I personally think they should do away with the NCAA and it should be on uh, all clubs and that should be second division, third division, just like we have in Europe. And again, yeah. I coach a lot of European players. Uh, I don't know if it'll ever get to that. Why, why would it? Why would the NCAA ever not right. do what they're doing? They're making billions of dollars. Right. So I wish I wish it would change. I think the athletes are getting screwed, and, and I'm always going to be on the side of the athletes. Um, so, I, but I I will say this: 
anything that gives athletes more flexibility, I'm for. Anything that gives them an opportunity to explore the NBA and still get a chance to play in college, that to me is, is a fair market. So I don't think it's efficient yet. I don't think anyone knows really what they're doing. Uh, I think that as the G League develops, ultimately what will probably happen is 75-plus percent of future NBA players will go to the G League and skip college altogether. I agree. Uh, because of, I think that's what it's going to get to. And the other 25% will be guys who they don't think will be Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard would not have gone to the G League. There's no one to pay him any money. He, he'd go to, you know, in, in today's world, he'd go to Duke because all the Duke guys are already in the G League. Right. So the next level up, you know, mid-majors would now become high majors. High majors would become top 25 programs and develop them up and coach them up and root for them and all of that. And, uh, and then you'd have the, the, more, the guys that are more likely have a real shot to be professional basketball players would go to the G League, which would be heavily scouted by Europe and, and of course, by the NBA. And that, that's probably where it needs to be. And the reality is fans would probably – still cheer and follow college just like do. You know, most of those football teams are lucky to have one NFL player or two NFL players, and it's not just the top 20 programs that get all the fans. Yep. So I, I think that this will support their team, and it's, it's the way it should be uh, for players. That I mean, the, the advantages of being in the NBA and being able to train all day and work all day and work on your body all day and not have to study biology and English, it, it may not help them long-term in life, that's a totally separate argument. But for their chosen career, uh, uh, the, the, kid in tech, the kid that loves algebra, the kid that loves tech, he doesn't have to take that many classes outside of what he likes best. And uh, it's really up there to, to make our athletes do that. What all they want to do is become the best player they can be, whatever sport, so they can pursue that, that career that they want. I agree 100%, Coach. And one of the earlier blogs I wrote was uh, entitled it uh, From Boys to Men, The Truth About the Guys Who Went from High School to NBA. And when I started looking at everybody that did it, and you look at the numbers, the, the guy that always, and I feel sorry for this guy, and the man never met him, Corleo Young. Everybody wants to throw that name out. Yeah. But when you really start looking at the numbers, whether it's Darius Miles or Eddie Curry, who I actually seen in high school, he's from the area. A lot of these guys made millions of dollars. Now, what they did with their money after that, that's on them as grown men. That's a whole right. other discussion. But at the end of the day, what gets lost in this, we love the game, we play the game, but at this level, it is a business. And there's only a couple guys who weren't, quote-unquote, successful. And even I would argue with Corey Young, when you dig into the story, they didn't really have the infrastructure or want to have the infrastructure of some of those teams back then to really develop players. Nowadays, they, there's no way in the world they would have let a back injury or whatever happened to them fail him. I mean, Michael Porter Jr., who I think if he stays healthy, is going to be a great one. Yeah. He's already had two back injuries. They're not trying to dump him and get rid of him. So again, I think people frame these arguments to try to support what they have going on. And bottom line, those guys made a bunch of money. Al Harrington had a long career. J.R. Smith is still yeah. playing. Um, I mean, you had a bunch of guys that even, you know, Steven Jackson, who technically almost kind of, you could say, went from high school. I mean, you have a bunch of these guys who had long careers, won championships, made a bunch of money, and at the end of the day, it's a success. And I think bottom line, if the NCAA was serious, all they would have to do is just let these, these uh, and I would say ladies, because I, I think it applies to UConn women. Let them, get marketing, let them get marketing dollars. Let them sell their likeness. Let's not suspend them for jerseys and yep. shoes that were given to them. Right. And if they just did stuff like that, 
you'd be surprised the kind of money that they can earn off the court. You know, even with YouTube now, you know, you had a football player that had to decide, well, I'm not going to be a kicker anymore because I'm making too much money on YouTube. I mean, why are we even putting them in these kind of predicaments? But I don't. Well, I know why they're doing it. They're doing it because they, they're you know they're trying to protect the, the billion dollar boosters who would who would just cheat and, and pay for the player. Uh, but to me, that that's fine too. It, it, the, I mean, so that's have, capitalism, have, coach. I always say that's yeah, capitalism. Separate, separate the programs. The, yep. the richest fifty schools are in one, the next fifty yep. in another. Uh, I, I, that, I'm all for that. And Corleone, Corleone Young, by the way, who's to say he doesn't get hurt in college and then he makes yes. nothing? Exactly. It's, it's the argument that anyone says that the player that should have gone to college, as if that is the end all be all of development, it's just lying. The college is filled with, with sad stories, filled. And worse than me, a guy that went to the first round, like Denno Harvey went one year to the Gators, yep. went to the NBA. In my opinion, if he stays four years in college, he's undraftable. Yep. He was, he, back then, he just was a very famous player, but he wasn't, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a prospect the way, I, the way he would have been, the way he was after one year when he's still kind of intriguing. Right. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad argument. It, it, I mean, I, I personally think a lot of racism involved, very sadly to Thank, say, and, I, I and, and, and provincial thinking. And yep. it's the provincial thinking of, oh, we got to control this and that. No, you don't. Let these guys go make their money. And if they don't make it, they don't make it. Uh, it's, it's just like any other 18-year-old, including my kids, when they, when they leave college, when they leave high school in two years, uh, they, they, they've got to make the right decisions. It, it, the world's tough. And, but at least if they, if they, if my daughter or son chose to, to not go to college because they had an opportunity to make a million dollars plus a year potentially in a business they really wanted, no one would say no to them. <laughs> right. Here I go. There's no, there's no governing body saying, no, 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 you can't go start this company that you think might be worth, worth a billion dollars. No, they can do whatever they want. Yep. The fact that we're controlling our athletes is, like I said, it's, it's, there's a lot of negative things in there that, that I think shouldn't be there. And, and hopefully before, before too long, those, those you know, we, we free up our athletes, men and women, to do what they want to do. Well, with that being said, Coach, thank you for your time. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, like I said, I'm a, a huge fan and supporter of what you do. Um, thanks for your time. Um, best of luck to your uh, future endeavors. Um, maybe down the line, once the NBA season gets going, we can link up and actually really talk some hoops during the season, if that's possible. That'd be great. I, did, I appreciate your time and your insight as well. I, I, congratulations on your second baby. This, I've got two myself, and it's the best job in the world being a dad and a husband. Uh, send me, send me the link when you get it. I'll post it where I where I can. All right, sounds good, Coach. Thank you for your time. Enjoy the rest of your day. You got it. And that was Coach David Thorpe. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Podcast, the Off the Glass Podcast. Make sure to check me out on Spreaker.com. Make sure to check me out at the website, www.offtheglasspodcast.com. This is your boy, Z. Stay safe out there. Peace. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your lawn and garden in shape. We do it right, too, with deals to help you save every day, like four bags of premium mulch now for just $10. And buy one one-and-a-half cubic foot bag of miracle Grow vegetable and herb garden soil. Get a Bonnie Basics plant for free. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 5-1 while supplies last. Bonnie offer valid on select 11.8-ounce pots. Valid in-store only. See store for details. U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your lawn and garden in shape. 
We do it right too with deals to help you save every day, like four bags of premium mulch now for just ten dollars, and buy one one and a half cubic foot bag of Miracle Grow vegetable and herb garden soil. Get a Bonnie Basics plant for free. Whatever's on your spring to do list, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through five one while supplies last. Bonnie offer valid on select eleven point eight ounce pots. Valid in store only. See store for details. U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. 